0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the 27th episode of the Liam McCollum Show. It's been a while since my last interview. It's kind of been busy getting ready for this upcoming school year, uh, trying to move back to Missoula. And I mean, that's gonna be crazy. We still don't know. Um, There there are some rumors that, you know, classes might go all virtual again once we actually get back there, but who knows? At least two of my classes have been moved online um, but i still have some in-person classes we'll just have to social distance while in person so we'll see and then we all have to wear masks too so it'll it'll be an interesting year um kind of it's been taking a while been taking up a lot of time just getting ready, working, and getting ready for that school year. So, um, But today we're going to talk to Billy Binion with Reason Magazine. We're going to talk about um, Andrew Cuomo's response to the coronavirus in New York. Um, A lot of people in the media have been praising him, including Fauci. Fauci himself has said that Cuomo did it right. And basically, Billy's here to say, um, you know, not one person can dictate from above not one person knows the solutions so basically that's the message of liberty subsidiarity is key people who are closer to the issue know how to solve the issue and how to allocate resources best so we're going to talk about that as as well as some of the work that billy's done on qualified immunity Um, He has some interesting articles on qualified immunity, and we're going to discuss a lot of the cases um, where certain officers have received qualified immunity um, and where current legislation stands. So, yeah, here's the interview. Well, Billy Binion, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, if you want to just introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are, that would be great.
1: Cool. So my name is Billy and I am an assistant editor at Reason Magazine, which is a magazine of politics and culture filtered through a libertarian lens.
0: Great. And you've written extensively about the coronavirus as well as issues um, relating to qualified immunity. I think I kind of want to talk about coronavirus first. Um, One of your most recent articles is about Cuomo. And, you know, a lot of the media has been um, praising him. Fauci said that he was doing it right and you you're calling him a failure so do you want to talk a little bit about um his response and what he's been doing
1: sure so i'll say at the outset here that i, I think it's kind of problematic to lay the entirety um, of the blame at any you know top man store and what i mean by that is you know obviously these are very complex overlapping systems um so it's difficult to say that you know cuomo or trump or whoever is to blame entirely Mm. however um when looking at governor cuomo's response um it is true that he has successfully stemmed a sky-high death toll uh fatalities but what's kind of been missing in the media narrative is that he stemmed that death toll that was partially caused by his own policies um the most egregious example being his nursing home order requiring that nursing homes accept um, people that had COVID and still had were at risk of spreading it to others. And obviously, you know, at the time we didn't know much about the coronavirus, but what we did know is that the elderly were much more at risk to die. And so we've seen 6,500 um, deaths in nursing home facilities, which is more than any other state with the exception of four other states, which is kind of an amazing statistic. Um and he's other he's had you know other missteps along the way. A very public feud with uh, Mayor Bill De Blasio. You know, Bill De Blasio has tried to issue certain stay-at-home orders, or school closures, and Cuomo will step in and say, you know, no, that's that's I only have the authority to do that. And then we'll issue you know a stay-at-home order a couple of days later. And you can tell us, you know essentially because it had to be his idea. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't exactly engender a lot of faith in his leadership at a time when people are confused and scared and really need something a little more stable. Um, so, you know, in, in response to, to Fauci's comments, I think it's it's true, actually, when you look at the deaths, they're bottoming out in New York, um, in Manhattan and in the state at large. And in that case, it's a success story. But it also, you know, was coming down from a death toll that rivals Italy mm-hmm. and is more than most European countries. Um, so I just think it's important that we look at that in context.
0: Right. and. I think that there is some truth. He, he does kind of seem to be arrogant and that he wants everything to be his own idea. Um, something that you've written about is the his recent orders that, you know, <laughs> declaring that bars shouldn't be able to serve certain foods. And I think he actually weighed into the hot dogs are not sandwiches debate by basically saying that, you know, they don't provide enough sustenance, so they shouldn't Remain open. Do you want to talk a little bit about that article?
1: Sure. So, I mean, that's actually one of the. I use the Fauci comments as kind of my intro to that because you know Dr. Fauci, who I have a lot of respect for, um, had just I guess a week prior said that you know Andrew Cuomo has quote unquote done it correctly or he's did it correctly. Um, and I think we also have to look at measures like, you know, regulations being put on businesses, you know, to stem the spread of this virus. And in this case, we see Cuomo issuing a lot of very arbitrary performative regulations on bars. You know, you can't drink outside now, as if coronavirus is more likely to be spread while intoxicated. Um, he also has said, you know, the bars have to now sell food, um, substitute food, quote unquote. So you can't sell hors d'oeuvres; you have to sell sandwiches and soups and that kind of thing, which is a major. I mean, it doesn't sound necessarily that that burdensome, but when you consider that these bars many didn't sell food prior to the coronavirus, so they're opening after. Being Shot for many months, and they now have to find a way to pour more money into food that they never sold, and into manpower for creating that food um, when no one has any extra money to speak of. And I think the what he's claimed that you know the motivation for that uh, is that he's he's wanting people to order food so that they stay seated, mm. which. People tried to circumvent, you know, bars try to circumvent by putting things like Cuomo chips on their menu or one that I thought was particularly funny. was you could order um, at this bar in Buffalo. You could order a sliver of charcuterie that you could substitute for a piece of cheese for a dollar. And so he caught wind of this and essentially in a press conference late last week said that, you know, he was bringing the hammer down and making sure that people don't do that so that now they have to, you know, make essentially a full menu.
0: Right.
1: Um, which how that's going to curb this spread of coronavirus is absolutely beyond me.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it just it's a testament to you know central planning. It, not not one single person can know everything, so it's kind of terrifying that someone has that much arrogance. But yeah, do you know if the so with the nursing home order, have most of the deaths in New York particularly been a result of that?
1: So in the state at large, there's been 32,000 deaths and 6,500 came from nursing homes, so quite a bit. Um, He reversed that directive on May 10th. He issued it in uh, late March. So a big chunk of the initial deaths in, you know, the first month that we were dealing with, month and a half that we were dealing with COVID um, certainly came from coronavirus. And all in all, it's, you know... I guess a little more what is that a little more than 25% I mean, i'm not very good at math but um it's a solid chunk um and like i said i think the most amazing thing about it is when you look at i think one one thing he said that kind of got under my skin was he was saying you know it would be a tragedy if people traveling from other states brought the coronavirus back to us and i kind of saw that as like a veiled Swipe, But, you know, red states like Texas and Florida, who admittedly are not doing very well. Florida is in crisis. They have a 19 percent positive test rate. It's a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, But but his death toll in nursing homes is still higher than Florida's total death toll. And it's also still higher than Texas's total death toll. It only is the 6,500 that have died in New York nursing homes, um, the only states with Higher total fatalities are California, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and Illinois, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously New York as well. Um, but the vast majority of states, their total death tolls across you know the entire area, we, not just in nursing homes, is less than his nursing home death toll, and I think that's something that you know he has never been able to own up to. People have asked him about it and he's kind of punted responsibility again and again. I think that obviously politicians make mistakes and right. this has been such an unprecedented time. People are trying to figure out as to go along. And like I said, I do always emphasize in these cases that you can't place all the blame at one person's door. That's far too static in analysis. <laughs> um, But I think that when you're looking at at such an egregious mistake, you have to own up to it. And he's not been able to do that.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think just this morning or maybe this week, he he was blaming the New York Post for, you know, this surge in more red states Uh, They're They're trying to reopen. And he's saying that they'll be held responsible for all of the deaths and stuff like that. So there's a lot of pointing blame at at people. Um,
1: Yeah, sure. And, like, I'm not saying that red states are doing it right. I'm not a Republican or a conservative. I mean, I I think that a more accurate response would be that no one knows who's doing it right because Mm -hmm. we're all just trying to figure this out as we go along. I mean, the science is by no means clear on really any of this because it's been, you know, we're in such the nascent stages of this virus. But... I think that his unwillingness to kind of be introspective and reckon with his mistakes is um, it's not
0: palatable to someone like me. Right. And have you studied Sweden's response at all to this?
1: No, I don't know much about it. I know that it has been widely criticized, um, and I know that essentially at the beginning of the virus, they I'm a, under the understanding that they essentially didn't do very much at all. Um, it's hard to compare the U.S. to Sweden, though, because their population is so much smaller and their systems are so different. So I think those comparisons kind of fall flat, but I know, I know that they have been widely criticized.
0: And then in your article, you mentioned a little bit about um, Cuomo's and your exclusive focus on ventilators. Um, mm-hmm. What was going on there?
1: Well, so essentially when this all started, um Hospitals, the goal originally of these lockdowns, if people remember, was so that hospitals wouldn't become overwhelmed with patients. Um, now we're kind of in this new stage where I guess we'll continue to be locked down until there's a vaccine, it seems. Um, but the original goal was to make sure that hospitals were able to handle the surge of patients. And so part of that was making sure that there were enough ventilators. Um, And Cuomo uh, hospitals essentially, I think, over relied on Cuomo to come through. Uh, There were a lot of reports of the state sending faulty ventilators, um, ventilators that caused patients to develop worsening complications. But further, um, there was a need for oxygen and oxygen related supplies, like vital signs machines, um, which is what you're hooked up to uh, when you might, as they say, flatline. so without a focus on that, some hospitals in the New York City area specifically have claimed that they were short on oxygen, um, which is something the market certainly could have provided because there was never you know, a company that couldn't have provided oxygen. Um, and also vital signs monitors such that when patients pulled off their oxygen masks, they died and there was no monitor to notify a nurse. Mm. Um So, you know, a nurse couldn't come or a doctor couldn't come and and perform some sort of intervention. Um, And, you know, there have been arguments as well as with patient transfers, you know, people are patients are not supposed to be transferred um, unless they're in stable condition. And there are reports of patients being transferred across the state when they were in terrible condition without any medical information. So they showed up at these like parking lot hospitals and doctors had no idea what to do with it. And in that case, you know, the state and the city are kind of, again, in that de Blasio-Cuomo feud, they, yeah. one of them blames the other. Um, so you, it's kind of hard to, to figure out really what happened there, because there's not really a lot of accountability.
0: Do you know anything about um, the debate and where the authority actually lies? I mean, as libertarians, I know, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I, I favor the idea of subsidiarity. Lo- localities are better fit to solve the issue. Um, but do you know if Cuomo was actually, he was in the right there? Did, did he have the authority um, and de Blasio didn't?
1: I share your view, actually, that lo- localities certainly should take up the mantle here. Mm-hmm. I think it's this was specifically a very difficult case to decide there, though, because every time de Blasio tried to take the reins and um, you know do something for Manhattan, Cuomo essentially overrode him. And I'm no Bill De Blasio fan, so that is not me saying that yeah. you know I think Bill De Blasio is some victim. You know, a few days before the coronavirus really was surging in the states, he was on Twitter encouraging people to go see a movie. So there's that. Um, but in this case, it's really hard to say because, every, like I said, De Blasio, for instance, also tried to close schools. Mm-hmm. And New York City has always had jurisdiction over when it closes its schools and Cuomo said actually no that's you don't have the right to do that that's my decision right um just kind of these amazing public spats that really should have happened behind closed doors, a and maybe didn't need to happen at all.
0: Right, absolutely. But yeah, you you also wrote about um, Cuomo's legislation. I think it was called the Americans First Law, and how um, you you think Cuomo would rather have no bin- businesses in New York than businesses that employ fewer people. Um, do you want to talk about that?
1: Sure. So the Americans First Law essentially um, would have required that corporations that received bailout money um, would have to return that money if they were not able to restore their workforce to pre-Coronavirus levels. Um, and so I think I mean there's an interesting debate here because corporate bailouts are problematic in their own right. You know, like, there's do airlines deserve billions of dollars when they you know spend a lot of time buying their stockbacks? It's it's a legitimate question. Um, But at the same time, the idea that corporations would be able to wave their magic wand amid these, you know, state lockdowns and just be able to, you know, take the money out of thin air to hire the exact same number of employees doesn't really make much sense. Um, I mean, this really didn't have much of a shot of getting through the legislature. Um, So in a sense, I think it was more theater uh, of him kind of, you know, sending the message that I'm anti-bailout, which, you know, I mean, like I said, there's a real discussion there. But the notion that we would be able to, or that any of these companies, just because they received government money, would be able to go back to business as usual when we're, the economy is still floundering. It just is, it's
0: a fiction. Right, exactly. Well, yeah. Now, to kind of just pivot, um, you also talk a lot about qualified immunity. Um, and I see on your Twitter feed, you, you actually mentioned that some famous people, some athletes reference your article um, in, in a move to, you know, take down qualified immunity. Do you want to talk about that story?
1: Sure. So um, I, the, I think the letter you're referring to is there were some professional athletes from the NFL, NBA and the MLB who um, cited two of my articles in a letter to Congress about why qualified immunity needs to go. And so for those who don't know what qualified immunity is, it is essentially a legal doctrine uh, that was invented by the Supreme Court in 1982 um, that makes it near impossible to sue public officials, uh, namely police officers, when they violate violate your rights. Um, and so essentially, you know, the text is such that unless there has not been a court precedent that outlines The misbehavior of this public official you know it doesn't just apply to police officers it applies to all public officials but we see this happen a lot with police officers Mm -hmm. if there's not a court precedent that outlines their misbehavior almost identically you can't sue them so the two stories cited by the nfl um or a story, and I think this one epitomizes qualified immunity, where two cops stole $225,000 while executing a search warrant. And it's worth noting that the men that they were searching were never charged for the crime. They stole $225,000, um, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that while the officers should have known that stealing is wrong, um, they did not have clear notice that it violated the Fourth Amendment, which is supposed to you know, protect us all from unreasonable searches and seizures. Mm-hmm. And what they were saying was that essentially, obviously, stealing is illegal. Everyone knows stealing is wrong. The cops should have known it was wrong. But because we have not looked at a court case where we have, ex- you know— written in detail that stealing during a search warrant is wrong you can't sue them so the idea being that qualified immunity is supposed to protect public officials from kind of frivolous lawsuits but in practice like so many well intentioned policies completely backfire and have the opposite effect where it just protects rogue cops and i'm not saying all cops are bad by any means but when cops violate your rights you know you need to have recourse to do that uh, right. to to you know sue for damages. The other story they cited was one where a sheriff's deputy shot a 10-year-old boy while in pursuit of a suspect that had no relationship to the boy and while he was aiming at a non-threatening dog. And so the boy's mom has since had to pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for orthopedic surgery. I think he still has trouble walking, that kind of thing, um, and has been able to get no help for those damages because the court has once again acknowledged that while the behavior was egregious, there is no core precedent out there that outlines, you know, that exact situation in detail, you know, that shooting someone while aiming at something else i think was the question there um and so since that has not been litigated exclusively um that officer has not been able to be to be to be sued
0: right and you you also talk about another um instance where a cop shot a homeless man um yes and they weren't protected by qualified immunity what happened there
1: yeah, so that's a particularly interesting one um I believe that that was that was an appeals case and i i think that was actually a reversal of the lower court who granted those cops qualified immunity but it's essentially a group i forget the number i want to say like i'll say nine cops who um it started with one who pulled over a homeless man who was walking on the street and not the sidewalk which is illegal in this small town um and the man happened to be homeless and schizophrenic and so the cop you know started talking to him um it escalated the man tried to run away he called in back up um and the cops ended up beating him to death and shooting him multiple times and it was kind of an amazing quote from the decision where i'll paraphrase but the the majority the judge writing the majority essentially said something to the extent of we are tasked with deciding if a homeless man shot 22 times if the cops should have known that that was wrong um and that, you know, that's also a, a case that kind of epitomizes qualified immunity because that was something that was actually a question that reached an appeals court as if those if those cops had clear enough notice that doing doing so is, you know, violates our rights, which obviously any thinking person would know that.
0: Another one of these instances, I don't I don't believe that you mentioned it was about. um the cops who sicked a dog on a surrendered suspect, and mm-hmm. um, the guy actually did get qualified immunity. Um, mm-hmm. And some justices actually have dissented to this. So Clarence Thomas, can you can you talk about um, his positions if you know anything about it?
1: yeah so actually he he's kind of a, a surprise seeming i mean we don't know his views extensively mm-hmm. but he seems to oppose qualified immunity because the supreme court actually declined to hear the case you just referenced essentially was two police officers i believe who were trying to apprehend a suspect who had his hands up and they sicked a dog on him mm-hmm. who attacked him mm-hmm. um just like a completely unnecessary use of force but in declining to hear that case clarence thomas was the only one who dissented um and seemingly i mean obviously in those in those you know brief dissents on over well, whether or not to hear a case you don't really go much into detail um but he alludes to the fact that qualified immunity has you know gone far past its original intention and and references the idea that the supreme court kind of pulled it out of thin air which is true Mm -hmm. i mean the the current law allows the american public to sue for violations of their rights but the supreme court changed that and they concocted that precedent first in 1967 when they said that the uh, person had to be acting in good faith. And then in 82, when they um, changed that standard to what is called the clearly established standard, and that was what I was describing before, you know, this Mm -hmm. misbehavior, this misconduct has to be clearly established in case law, which has become essentially it has to be the exact same scenario, has to have been litigated previously, which often it has not. Um, And conservatives, you know, this is an issue I think should really – concern conservatives um police reform is often seen as an issue of the left which i think is is wrong i mean conservatives are the ones who rightfully oppose legislating from the bench mm-hmm. and that is qualified immunity to a t the supreme court just made it up in in total contradiction of current civil rights law right and um, So it epitomizes legislating from the bench.
0: Right, and specifically the Civil Rights Act of 1871, it allows you to sue public officials correct and yeah that's
1: what i that's what i'm referring to so in 67 and 82 they the supreme court kind of countermanded that mm-hmm. um with no president precedent to go off of um so conservatives i should be very concerned
0: yeah absolutely you also mentioned that justin amash he he's proposed some legislation and i believe rand paul has also done this and in, in the same respect. What's going on with those pieces of legislation?
1: Um, so actually, it's not Rand Paul. It's a it's a Republican in the Senate. If you're referring to the Senate uh, Qualified Immunity Bill, which proposed was proposed by Mike Braun. Yeah, uh, Rand Paul kind of puzzlingly hasn't really said much about qualified immunity, which is strange because he claims to be you know libertarian leaning, but um. Mm-hmm. His, his um, legislation, I believe, was to ban no-knock warrants, which is also a very important issue. Right. Um, but Justin Amash's bill in the House would essentially abolish qualified immunity for all public officials um, and go back to the standard uh, that you mentioned in the Civil Rights Act. Um, and that was co-sponsored with um, Representative Presley and a laundry list of Democratic co-sponsors as well as one Republican um, House rep. Um and you know the GOP has been kind of slow to warm on this issue, which, like I said, not, i not—I don't completely understand why, mm-hmm. um, unless you want to look at you know the issue of police unions and the the uh, influence they have in Republican politics. But um, so that that bill would abolish qualified immunity, and then um, Senator Braun's bill would so, like very much roll it back um, and only create. Ex- exceptions for people whose conduct was expressly permitted mm-hmm. by case law or by uh, federal or state statute which essentially is the opposite approach of qualified immunity now um so in my view kind of eliminates it in practice right those right. bills have no chance of passing um unfortunately because congress t- tends to be all theater these days and um you know in the senate mitch mcconnell wouldn't i would say consider either of those bills, if Amash's bill were to make it to the Senate, um, which I think it would if they had a vote, um, and if bronze was allowed any debate, I think um, essentially Mitch McConnell you know, won't won't allow those those bills to have their time because President Trump has said it's a non-starter, and so I think those will go to his legislative graveyard. Yeah. Um, conservatives have been, I think, kind of disturbingly... Um, unwilling to consider this issue, even though, like I've said, I think it's very much a conservative issue that would align with their principles. But um, police unions very much oppose abolishing qualified immunity. Um, The job of a police union is to cover up police misconduct i know that sounds like a controversial thing to say but it's not (laughs) It's the same job of teachers unions they lobby for their employees obviously and that means standing up for your employees when they do something wrong um they did it when eric garner was choked over some loose cigarettes you know even when a police magistrate ruled that that officer daniel pantaleo did so in violation of NYPD policy. So you're sticking up for officers that violate your own rules, as if all officers need to reserve the right to use excessive force. Right. Um, so from a political standpoint, though I think conservatives should be open to reform, they're not. Um, and much that has to do, like I said, with unions, but also because you know Trump has said, I won't even consider this.
0: Yeah. And you actually, t- you talk about a labor council um, expelling the police union in Seattle, what Mm -hmm. what happened there um so there was
1: a there's a coalition in seattle that represents different police unions and advocates on their behalf um and they had essentially given the seattle police union kind of this list of demands of what they needed to see change from them and you know i don't have much knowledge of the internal discussions but essentially it was decided they did not meet the standard and they were expelled from that labor coalition um which is a pretty dramatic change because just a few years prior the labor coalition had helped them lobby for their new contract um so i think it's a good change to be honest i think Mm -hmm. public sector unions should be busted um i think that they lobby they have monopoly control over services that are supposed to be providing a public good um and in so doing you know lobby for those people at the expense of the public, at the expense of the people that police are supposed to be serving, at the expense of the people that teachers are supposed to be serving. Mm-hmm. Um, to give kind of a similar example, there was a teachers' union in L.A., in LA I think the, the big teachers' union out there, who said that they wouldn't reopen schools until the police were defunded, which has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Right. Um, and we can talk about the merits of police reform. Obviously, I'm an editorial journalist and have written in favor of it for the majority of my career, but I think that that is a good example of kind of leveraging your monopoly control to get what you want mm-hmm. when that has nothing to do with with your job.
0: Right. And one of the examples you used where a police union um, acted wrongly was uh, Breonna Taylor's case. Uh, and as we mentioned with the Rand, Rand Paul's legislation, the I, I believe it was Justice for Breonna Taylor Act. Um, mm-hmm. Did the union just not acknowledge that the cop was in the wrong or what happened in that case? So in that case,
1: essentially, the police union was criticizing, I believe, a lawmaker who had complimented or commended rather the her um, her boyfriend for defending her. And the police unions railed into him. And there's like lots of uh, interesting discussions to be had there because conservatives, um, which are overwhelmingly supportive of police and law and order, and also overwhelmingly supportive of the second amendment, um, as they should be don't seem to be as supportive of it when it's the wrong person who has the gun. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a discussion I think we also need to be having because I think that what her boyfriend did was heroic. Um, and obviously he couldn't protect her. But that lawmaker who stepped in and said, you know, he did the right thing. That shouldn't be controversial. We should that shouldn't be something that police shouldn't be beyond reproach.
0: Yeah. And Kenneth Walker, her boyfriend, has been released, right? Do you know? Yes. OK. The charges have been dropped. Yeah. Good. I mean, that is a very interesting thing. You know, there there was the case of the St. Louis couple and, you know, they were defending their property and. Um, when the protesters broke in through the gate on the private road. Um, And everyone got really upset about that. But I honestly think Kenneth Walker should be a huge face of this movement. I think that um, it could unite everyone, but for some reason, Oh, I agree. One of well, my colleagues, her
1: name is um, Zori Davis, for anyone that wants to go check her out. She's written a lot of really good stuff about this. She wrote a, a piece on, um, I forget which city it was, but there were a group of armed black men who were protecting black businesses during some of these more violent protests. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was also, you know, Senator Kelly Loeffler, who called the clip of, you know, the black men walking around downtown in one area, they were armed. She called that some derogatory term. You know, you know, said this was you know an outrage or whatever, and they mm-hmm. were licensed gun owners. You know, I that that cognitive dissonance will never cease to amaze me. You know, conservatives support the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment applies to everyone.
0: Yeah, and so now you kind of have a really revolutionary idea. I I I've thought of this myself um, about armed agents um, of the state not being allowed to enforce traffic laws. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you expand on that?
1: Sure. So, um, essentially, one of the areas for reform, I think, we should at least consider, um, and is that police perhaps should not be the ones writing traffic tickets. Um, we trust the police to investigate murders, rapes, you know, armed robberies, and then we also have them. You know handing out tickets for running a stop sign i mean it just like it doesn't doesn't quite make sense um especially when considering that some of those some of those stops can escalate um, and it also i just think from a trust perspective you know it engenders a lot of unease when you see those blue lights coming after you mm-hmm. um because you know you have to have your hands on the dash and you can't make any wrong move i mean I'm, I'm a white person i, I don't can't even really speak to how scary those experiences can be as we've seen, they can go very wrong um, for Black people, mm-hmm. and I think that one way to change that uh, would be, you know, obviously still things like DUIs and DWIs would still be crimes, but for things like you know running a, a stop sign, like I don't understand why that isn't uh, on, on par with just you know a, a parking, yeah, you know, a parking violation. Someone in like I think Alex Tabarrok, who's an economist, also wrote a piece on this, and he had said something like you know make traffic enforcement nice again with like, you know, cute yellow cars that, you know, I don't actually know how it would work in practice, you know, the color of the car or whatever. But I think there is a real discussion around the idea that we don't need people, you know, with lethal weapons on them, writing tickets for, you know, going 35 and a 25. Right. Um, And actually, I think Berkeley uh, in California just voted to do that.
0: Oh, that's so great. we'll see how that works. Yeah, that's really great. All right. Well, I think that's it, Billy. Um if you wanna if you have anything else that you'd like to say and uh, if you want to share where people can find you, we can we can let you go.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm if you want to look on Twitter, um, Twitter, my name is Billy Binion Handle first name, last name. Um and yeah, check out reason.com. We've got some good stuff going.
0: Awesome. Well thank you so much. Thanks. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. It's definitely good to get back into podcasting and doing these interviews. Um, I'm planning on potentially expanding the podcast and bringing a co-host on uh, for some commentary episodes. I think it might be nice to break down some of the philosophical influences that I've had. um, And I would do those in those commentary episodes, Uh, also reflect on Current issues, I don't know how regular they would be. Um, as you guys know, even these podcasts are irregular. Um, and with the moving process to the University of Montana, who knows how it'll be, but I think as soon as I get back to campus, it'll, it'll start to be a regular thing again. So um, I actually am planning on releasing another interview this week. I have an interview tomorrow and it's more of an evergreen topic um, about why government shouldn't be involved in marriage. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation and I hope you guys come back. Please like, subscribe, share whatever platform you use, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, um, Spotify. Uh, and if you like the show, give me a shout. Thank you.